Our scripture passage this morning is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Hopefully you have a, somewhere to follow along, a Bible or a phone that has a Bible on it. I think we still have there are a few copies of the, of the English Standard Version on the back table if you'd like to use one of those as well. James 2, beginning in verse 14. Hear God's word for us this morning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. Lord, we pray that... uh, that your spirit would indeed be the preacher and teacher here. Lord, no one really wants to hear what I have to say this morning. What we really want to hear, Lord, is from you. We desperately need to hear what you say to us through your spirit. So, Lord, may your word prevail. And, Lord, use um, this frail vessel to proclaim your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So this morning we're looking at uh, continuing our, our, our study in the book of James, and uh, and and this one is, is 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 we're tackling one of those one of those passages that almost seems like it sets. We, we've talked about how Paul and James have historically been pitted against each other. That 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 Paul proclaims a gospel of grace, and somehow James proclaims a gospel of works. I hope that if you've been following the last few weeks, that you realize more and more. Those two men, I think, are, are, are much more uh, in common and, and really work well together. Um, we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what, that's, what, that's what Paul would proclaim. But that faith is never truly alone, right? Justification is accompanied by sanctification. So you think about justification as kind of the engine of the train. Uh, and sanctification is, 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 is attached and and, 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 is, and is the caboose. Those two things work together. Now, sanctification is never, work, never works by itself. It never, it never works out justification. And justification has nothing to deliver apart from sanctification. So I think Paul and James are in agreement more than we realize. Um, it makes me, makes me think of something Richard Pratt, one of my uh, professors at, at seminary, had, had taught, that the Bible is full of blue pills and red pills. And what he means by that is that it's a little bit like uh, if I have a headache at home, I don't wrap my elbow 
with, with a bandage to make my head feel better, right? I take aspirin, right? And, 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 and in the same way, uh, I don't take COVID medicine to make my toenail fungus uh, 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 go away. Doesn't that make you smile this morning that I use to toenail fungus as an illustration? Um, the Bible's full of blue pills and red pills. And so Paul is addressing the issue of justification by faith alone with, 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 with folks that are relying on their following the Jewish law to be justified. And so he's using a blue pill, right? He's reminding them it's by grace alone that we're saved. That we're not, we're not no one has ever been saved uh, by, by, by works, but it's by faith in, in Christ and, and, and that's how that works. James is, is, has a red pill for us. He's addressing those folks who claim they are Christians, but bear no fruit. They're the ones who, who talk a good game, but at the end of the day, uh, they don't bear fruit. So he's, he's reminding them that it's justification by faith alone, but that, 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 that justification is never truly alone. That justification, that true faith issues itself and works. If that makes sense. And so this morning, we're going to look at what, what, I, what I'm describing as false faith. We're going to take a look at what it looks like in verses 14 through 17. We're going to look at how false faith and sound doctrine work together in verses 18 and 19. And then we're going to look at some Old Testament examples in verses 20 through 26. So let's look at the passage beginning in verse 14. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Most of the week, whenever I've been reading those few verses, I've been thinking about two, two different songs. War, what's it good for? You know, if you remember, that's an old, old Vietnam uh, 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 a protest song. Um, war, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing, right, as it goes. And then my, one of my favorite uh, Christian songwriters, Rich Mullins, I keep thinking about the screen door on a submarine. For those of you who are, who are Rich Mullins fans, that's what he, he, uh, he has a song all about uh, James, and he talks about how uh, faith that works is like a screen door on a submarine. No use for it. Nothing, nothing. You can't really use it for anything. And so that's what uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, what James is talking about here. He says, what good is it? What good is it good for? It's not good for anything. It certainly can't save someone, he says in verse 14. Then he uses this illustration. And what if someone came up to you from our church, perhaps even today, if someone had forgotten their coat and it's blustery and cold outside? Imagine, imagine if, if, someone, if someone says, I need your help. Can, 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 can you share, share a scarf, something? And, and, if, and if we were to say, oh, you'll be okay. Just warm yourself. It'll be all right. I mean, that's really what, what he's talking about here. Uh, what good is this response to go in peace, be warmed and filled? And Jesus taught in Luke chapter 10 in the parable of, this, of the Good Samaritan that we are obligated to be good neighbors to anyone we encounter. Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 makes it even more specific in terms of our obligation to our fellow Christians. He writes, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, he, so, he, so James concludes, in 17, the faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's a little bit like the, I think I've told this illustration before, but it's a good one. 
uh, Easter, every Easter, my mom would, would, would buy me a chocolate bunny of some kind. It would be, be laying out, I think, for breakfast. What kind of mom? Would, why would you do that? Uh, laying out for breakfast. And I was never sure until I took a bite whether it was hollow or if it was solid. And I, always, I was so disappointed it was hollow. It was like 90% less. You know, it was like diet chocolate, you know. I was always excited when I, I, I kind of had to gnaw it with the corner of my mouth because it was, it was solid. That's what, that's what faith is like. Faith, faith without works is like the hollow Easter bunny, right? The hollow Easter, the, the, it looks good on the outside, but the inside, there's really nothing to it. There's nothing there. The scary thing is that there's a faith that we can have that does not save. We can claim to be a follower of Jesus all we want, but there's a faith that does not save us. It's a faith that does not transform us from the inside out. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me repeat that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my will, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, he goes on to say, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? In other words, it's possible even to do great works and not know Jesus because he then says, he then says I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's the same kind of theory with Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. I'm sure many of you, many of you remember, remember the passage about how, uh, how, how, uh, at the final judgment, we're going to be divided into, into two groups. And, 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 and eventually, those who are justified are the ones who, who what? Who did the work that God had commanded them to do. The ones that, that, that fed and clothed and took care of the prisoner. The ones who didn't will go off to eternal punishment. It's a spurious counterfeit faith that Ananias and Sapphira had in Acts chapter 5. You may remember how uh, different Different Christians were giving uh, large sums of money uh, and, and large uh, tracts of land uh, to the uh, church. And Ananias and Sapphira acted like they gave a big amount as well, but actually held some back. And it's that kind of false faith that they displayed. The scary thing is we, you can claim to be a Christian, but if you don't have works, if you're not transformed, then your faith, you might, have, you might have real faith, but it's not saving faith. It's spurious, it's counterfeit, it's false, and it will not save you. So that's what false faith looks like in verses 14 through 17. Then there's false faith and sound doctrine, verses 18 and 19. There's an objector here, James says. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James replies, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so there's kind of this idea that James has that there, there's, there's different Christians, there, perhaps in the, in the church that, that, that's, uh, that's reading this, that there are two different types of Christians. I'm a, I'm a faith Christian, and you over there, you're a works Christian. And you know, we really need each other. But there's kind of this idea that there's, there's, a, faith work, there's a faith Christian and a works Christian. 
And again, James says, that's not possible. You can only, I can only show my faith by my works. He then goes on to say, you believe that God is one. He's referring there to what's called the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by, on, walk by on the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, this Shema is pretty important. This is like a foundational, like, it's, like, it's like the Apostles' Creed of, 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 uh, of uh, Old Testament uh, religion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was the very basis of what it meant to, to be a believer in Yahweh. And of course, because James is talking to Jewish Christians, he's pointing that out, saying, you believe that God is one. You recite the Shema. You have this foundational belief. You do well to do that. Even the demons believe that, he says. And they shudder. The demons shudder because they are impacted by what they believe. Sam Albury talks about this idea about the Shema representing kind of sound doctrine and how that, how that works into this passage. Albury writes, if we are ever tempted to congratulate ourselves about our orthodoxy, about having our theology right, we need to remember who we share it with. The demons have sound doctrine too. This should not surprise us. They came from heaven after all. They know who God is. They know he is one. There are no atheists in the demonic realm. Affirming certain right things about God is clearly not enough. Hell is, good, hell is full of good theology. Pleased with your right understanding of who God is? Congratulations. You are precisely the same level as the demons. Notice it says, this is not about doctrine. Even the demons believe God and shudder. Again, that shuddering means that they are impacted by what they believe. Isn't it amazing to think about, I'm sure you shake your head with me sometimes, some of the polls that, that we hear about from time to time they're taken about our country, about, who, about people who consider themselves to be Christians. I don't have the information in front of you. It's always this vast amount. It's like 70% of people would claim that they're Christians. But where are they on Sunday mornings? 70% claim they're Christians, but very few of them, very few of us give regularly. There's so much nominalism in the Christian church. I think there's so many, so many folks, probably people that you know, probably people that I know, people in our families, people that are in our workplace, who when we invite them to church, say, oh, that's okay. I, I, I just kind of do my own private thing between me and God but they consider themselves Christians. Why? Because perhaps they signed a card at one time or they, they prayed a sinner's prayer, they came forward at, uh, at a worship service. That's why it's so important to be a member of a church. There's so much value in church membership because so often, dear friends, we are able to deceive ourselves. I, I am so, so good at self-deception. Uh, and I think that I'm not the only expert on that in this room. We need each other. We need each other in terms of accountability, in terms of friendship. We need each other. Because without that, we're just, 
we're just kind of separate and, and we're, we're by ourselves. And it's very easy for us to fall away, if you will, from the, from the living faith. So that's how, that's how sound doctrine works with this whole issue in verses 18 and 19. And then finally, there's these Old Testament examples of saving faith. Old Testament examples of saving faith. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scriptures were fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's really amazing that James picks these two examples. It's not surprising he picks Abraham, right? The kind of the founder of, of Judaism, if you will, the, uh, the father of, of all Jews, a great man of faith who who uh, was called out by God to leave his place and to go to a place where he knew not. But then Rahab is also the, the second choice. You can pick someone more different from Abraham. A woman, a Gentile woman, a harlot. I mean, all, you know, if Abraham is kind of the, the, kind of the, the, cr the cream of the crop in terms of religion, Rahab would be kind of at the exact opposite place. And yet these are the examples he uses. What's also, what's also astounding to me is this is, Paul, is Abraham is, is Paul's favorite example, right? So just as, just as, uh, as James uses him as, to show kind of, kind of his blue pill medicine, right? Uh, Paul uses it, Abraham as his red pill medicine. When he discusses justification by faith alone in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. He, uh, and so both these men are looking, I think, at the same equation just from different angles, from different, for different ways. First, he talks about Abraham. This is, says he was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. That story is in Genesis chapter 22. Imagine what would happen if, 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 uh, if God had, had told Abraham, I want to be sure that your faith is genuine. And Abraham would have said, okay, Lord, my faith is, my faith is genuine. And God says, okay, that, that would have been a very short story. <laughs> and that would not have been the truth, right? Instead, God puts Abraham through this horrible trial of bringing Isaac with him uh, and, be, and, and binding his son and putting him on the altar and getting ready to, to lift the knife up in the air. And that's, of course, when, when the angel stays his hand and he's told, no, do not touch the boy. For now I know that you, uh, you, you fear God, that you will not give, you will not uh, keep anything from me. It's a really great example. So Abraham had great faith, but how is it demonstrated? By him saying he had great faith? No, it's demonstrated by his willingness to go nine-tenths of the, of the mile, to go almost all the way in, in depriving Isaac of his life. And then there's the story of Joshua chapter 2 of, of, of Rahab and the, and the, uh, and the uh, spies. 
Rahab actually puts her own life on the line, right? She, she finds a spy, she hides him, and then her, her, uh, her uh, declaration of faith is not exactly catechism, question and answer, but it's, it's good enough in Joshua 2. She tells the spies, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She goes on to say, right, that, that, uh, that our courage is melting because of, because of your God and what we've heard that he has done. And so her faith allows her to hide the spies. And notice again that faith is always accompanied by works. And I think particularly what's really important to me is something Albury points out in, at the beginning of verse 24. Or let me read again verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So we, we get hung up on the last part of that, of that verse. Justified by works and not by faith alone. We'll talk a little bit about that again in a moment. But the two words at the beginning are important. You see. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the only way we can see. It's the only way anybody can see our faith is by our works. Jesus talks about that in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to take time to read this one. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Mark chapter 2, where Jesus heals a paralytic, beginning in verse 1. It says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, doesn't say who they are, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I'm sure many of you have heard this story. You've seen it in Sunday school, right? That the friends want to bring their friend, their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing. And what is the first thing Jesus says in verse 5? When Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. So my question to us is, do people see our faith? How do they see our faith? How do we practice our faith? How do we make sure it's visible to the world around us, to, to our family members? Perhaps we need to, to hear from, from Peter. In 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5, listen to these words. And Peter's really talking about a test here. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control is steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness uh, with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Right. Sounds like works to me. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now listen to this verse. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you, are never, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the king, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter is saying, test yourself. 
Are you in the faith? Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. Peter sounds like a Presbyterian to me. He's talking about calling. He's talking about uh, uh, the idea of election, right? How do we confirm those things? Practicing these qualities, you will never fall. What are these qualities? All things I mentioned earlier, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, works, in other words. Even Paul, even Paul, Mr. Uh, I think I mixed up my colors now, red and blue uh, uh, pills, but the other, the other color, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, he says, to see whether you're in the faith. faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We're to test ourselves, Paul says. Mr. Grace, Mr. Justification by Faith Alone says test yourselves. How do we know we pass the test? Well, first, do we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Do we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, You know, Peter has a list here. Uh, Obviously, Galatians 3. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, self-control. Against the such things there, isn't, there is no law. Do we exhibit those things abundantly? Are we, are we growing? Are we getting better at being loving and patient and kind and so on and so forth? Do we see victories over sin, even over a long period of time? Are we, are we changing? Are we growing? Are we willing to enter into God's presence is there, sometimes I, I realize, I have to admit, I'm a little bit like this. I'm sure it is like you. Sometimes I'm not even sure how I got here on Sunday morning, right? I, I got in my car, the next thing I know I was here. I remember turning left, turning right, stop signs, traffic lights. Um, it's just, sometimes it becomes a habit to come to church. And that is a good thing because sometimes we just need to come and our hearts get stirred when we arrive. But sometimes too, there should be times when our hearts are stirring us to come. Be excited for prayer, for worship, for hearing God's word preached to us. Is there an eagerness to join up with other Christians? In other words, do you have a public faith and not a private faith? There is no such thing as a private saving faith, dear friends. No such thing exists. No such thing exists. Most importantly, do we recognize what God has done for us in Christ? Unlike Abraham, God did not spare his son, but gave him up for both our justification and our sanctification, for red pills and blue pills. Faith without works is dead. The good news is our God specializes in resurrection. Do you have a faith that's living and active? And by faith, do I mean the way you practice your faith? He can bring, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you test yourself in the faith and find it wanting, Cheer up, there's good news. God can bring your spurious faith back to life too. Right? The, the, verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Jesus was dead once, and now he's risen. And God can do that with our faith. Recognize that indeed our justification and sanctification are linked. So be encouraged today. Practice your faith. Show that it's living and active. Because God is a God who specializes in resurrection. 
Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table together. Lord, we pray that you will help us to look inside of us. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves to see if we truly are in the faith. Lord, how terrifying it would be to have a faith that does not save. To have a, a false faith or a spurious faith. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are struggling with this. No doubt, Lord, there are some this morning who are thinking, perhaps that's me. I don't know. Lord, work in the dead places of all, in all of our hearts this morning. Scrape away those places that are dead and in need of your, in need of your reviving. And Lord, most of all, help, Lord, our deeds to match our words. For, Lord, the world is, 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 is tired of seeing a church uh, that is not genuine, that doesn't love the way we should. Lord, help us to love one another in the church. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us, Lord, to practice what we preach. And, Lord, may Jesus be, may Jesus be glorified in all this. For it's only through him and through your spirit that we can do these things. We ask in his name. Amen.